Hey there, you're listening to a new episode of the Darius Faroo Show. On this episode, I am joined by Ben Dunkel. He's the founder of BeginCrypto.com. And we are going to talk all about cryptocurrencies and also Bitcoin in particular. So like always with these types of episodes, there's a disclaimer that this is not financial advice. It's only for informational purposes. And on this episode, you'll hear us talk about the different ways that you can look at crypto. Because for me, as a long-term investor and a passive investor, I look at assets a little bit different than people who are more active and who are more involved with crypto projects or potentially crypto trading, um, which is actually not something that we are really talking about on this episode. Ben is more focused on crypto projects and how it can impact the way that we live and operate in our careers. So that's a very fascinating side of crypto that I was uh, also curious to learn more about and also talk more about. Full disclaimer, I do own some crypto and that's something that I did not uh, do in the past. Um, Before, I think, 2019 or something, I was a bit skeptic and because I always saw crypto as a way to speculate and not so much a way to, you know, change the way that we work And also not as a store of value like gold. And to be honest, I'm not a fan of gold either. But as a part of my strategy, I dedicate a very small amount of my money to some risky assets. And I chose uh, to allocate a little bit to a few cryptocurrencies. But that's my personal strategy. And I'll talk a little bit more about you know, how you could create your own strategy if you don't have one yet. That's something that comes up in this conversation as well. So if you want to learn more about Ben, feel free to check out his website, howtobegincrypto.com. And Ben and I know each other because he went through my program, Digital Business School. He had all this um, passion and expertise about crypto and he wanted to monetize it. And he created a course around crypto. So that's how we know each other. He's also an advisor to several crypto projects and companies. And on this episode, you'll learn more about what he is doing and also more about crypto. So how did you get started with Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies? For me, it's uh, it's been a fairly, fairly long episode because I've, I spent the last decade in e-commerce and technology uh, in, in software companies. And so um, I learned about Bitcoin, I think, like many people back in 2017, when there was this huge run up and all of a sudden everybody had Bitcoin on their phone, it was tracking prices and so on. Um, that's when I learned about it. I didn't invest. Um, I was just curious about technology and so kept reading up on it and investigating a bit further because I felt there was even a professional interest, you know, going into e-commerce and so on. Um, and then uh, when COVID happened, the pandemic started and we had the first lockdown. Um, I had all of a sudden a lot more time on my hands because there was no more commuting, no more dropping off kids at school and so on. And um, I'm an optimist by nature. So I needed to find something positive, no pun intended, but I needed to find something positive to focus on. And so um, I decided to use that additional time to dive into blockchain and crypto more seriously. And uh, yeah, that's when I fell down the rabbit hole and I haven't really crawled out 
ever since. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really interesting because a lot of people that I speak to uh, about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin assume it's already too late to get started and they feel like they've missed the train back in what you also mentioned, 2017, where it was uh, the first kind of big wave of popularity. And it's very interesting to see that you did not make that assumption and you did get started. So I think for listeners, that's already a very important myth to kind of take away is that, no, you're not too late, right? And is that something that you ran into as well when you started or maybe just within yourself or some stuff that you read online? Yeah, I think it's 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 always important to take a step back. I'm, I'm pretty analytical by nature, so I like to go by facts and just read up on things rather than go with the latest headline you see on Twitter or on social media. Um, and I think what I realized is when, when you take a step back and you ignore everything that's out there around the speculation and, you know, you have to get in today and get out tomorrow and get rich overnight and all that, it's, it's really a, a much, much bigger movement in the background. It's, a, it's an evolution of technology overall. And so there will always be somebody who learned of this earlier than yourself and somebody who got in earlier and so on and so forth. But if, if, if I think of uh, blockchain in general as a skyscraper, we're probably on the second floor. So it's really still very early days. Yeah, I think that's a really important realization for uh, people who want to spend some time because I think that's a very big roadblock. If you tell yourself, well, it's already too late, then you probably will never invest any time in learning um, about Bitcoin or just cryptocurrencies in general. And we can talk a little bit more about the potential applications and you know the possibilities uh, so we can kind of look at bitcoin a little bit differently because for me initially it was always about speculation mm-hmm. uh, in, in particularly around that period of 2017 and before and also a little bit later um and now i'm seeing more uh, a shift in the way that people are perceiving Bitcoin, and you also see very um, high-profile fund managers on Wall Street who are changing mm-hmm. their perspective and now thinking, well, actually, this could be an, an investment or actually are saying we are investing or we are holding crypto and or Bitcoin uh, primarily. So I think that's really fascinating to see that kind of shift. And in, in terms of timing, yeah, we're definitely not uh, too late. And, and like you say, we're, we're very early stages, but it's very difficult for people to realize, right? Like I, I heard you, uh, we've, we've spoken before, but I, I remember you talked about the example of the early days of the internet, which is kind of a popular example, but I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. When was that again? Like early nineties or something? Yeah. Early nineties. Um, you know, just just one one thing I want to mention before we go into that. Um, you know, <clears throat> as I said, I like to dig into things and look at the facts. And one recent statistic I think that for me put things into perspective is that the, the advantage of blockchain is that pretty much everything is visible publicly, and so you can actually see how many wallet addresses or active users are out there. And one statistic I saw the other day. Um, was there's around 200 million active wallet addresses on the blockchain. Now, 200 million out of 7 billion people on the planet, 
that's still very, very early, right? Mm. And I think I completely agree what you said with 2017, 18, you know, crazy spike, lots of volatility, you know, prices going up by 500% one day and then going down another, you know, huge drop the next day. Um, that volatility, I think, is also related to the fact that it's much easier to make big waves in a puddle than in an ocean, right? And so you have to look at how much money overall is invested in the crypto market. When I started really digging into it and actively started in investing myself in early 2020, there were roughly $250 billion invested in crypto overall, which in the large scheme of things is a drop in the ocean. Right? When you compare that to um, all the wealth that's invested in, let's say, precious metals or real estate or the stock market, like $250 billion is pretty much nothing. Yeah, Apple that alone is a trillion dollars. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just company. That's just yeah. an Apple stock. And so that number has um, moved on quite a bit. So right now it's you know between 1.5, 1.8 trillion dollars. So we see nice progression. But as this builds out and as more money flows into the crypto market, it gets harder to manipulate. You know, if you have 250 billion dollars invested, if somebody comes in and they have 10 million to play with it's much easier to move the price of a certain project than if there is not $250 billion, but $2.5 trillion, right? So it's all relative in that sense. Going back to your question, what you said about the, the early days of the internet, um, that's something that does come up. And it's, some, it's an example I used for myself as well to explain to myself what's happening because it's not the exact same thing, but it's a similar period in, in which we are at the moment. In the early 90s, there's videos out there of you know, talk shows like, what the hell is this internet thing? And people desperately trying to explain this new technology. And if you watch these videos and you just replace the word internet with blockchain in your head, I think you, you understand where we are with this technology yeah. at the moment. It's very early days. Yeah, and that's fascinating because that was early 90s, I believe. Was it 94 or something? And uh, 90, yeah, roughly, yeah. Yeah, so... And if you think about it, real internet businesses only started to grow really fast in the early 2010s and later, like 11, 12, 13, after the Great Recession, um, and yeah. started like online, um, like passive income businesses started to really uh, increase around 2015 and 16, or like I started in 2015. And over the years, I've seen uh, a lot of increase in that business uh, in, in this space and mm -hmm. just look at the amounts of podcasts that are <laughs> available and internet content or digital content and all of that kind of stuff. But if you look at back, uh, there's like a 20 year gap between that. And obviously Bitcoin started also during the great recession. Mm -hmm. And I think the history is kind of, you know, it's, talked about a lot by many people. So if you're listening to this and you, you have not heard about the history of Bitcoin, I, I don't know, there, there are a bunch of documentaries on this Netflix as well, or like you can just like quick Wikipedia yeah. uh, search. Uh, I don't, yeah, I personally don't find it super interesting. I, yeah, I know a lot of people are very interested by the founder yeah. and the whole I sometimes I see articles pop up like who is this guy, right? <laughs> and I think they oh, were pretty close. <laughs> there's a variety of choice, you know, like from, from Mark Zuckerberg to Bill Gates. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, 
yeah, I think what is interesting in all of that is when you look at um, how Bitcoin came to be, because Bitcoin is the mothership of all blockchain technology in that sense. And one thing that's important to keep in mind is, and that's where I think the, the internet as we know it with services and information flow and so on, and the financial aspects of it, because when you think about it, internet has really revolutionized how we communicate, right? It's very easy to send messages literally across the globe within seconds. You can exchange information and so on and so forth. If you look at financial transactions, the perception is that this happens in real time as well because the apps that we use make us believe that it's all in real time and so on. But the actual technology that's being used on an international scale to transfer money from, let's say, Europe to the US, that's still based on a messaging system that's back from the 70s and 80s. So it's technology that's ripe for disruption and for innovation. And blockchain brings those two worlds together, right? It's, it's pretty insane to think that I can send you an email and it pops up within seconds. But if I was in the US and I wanted to wire you money, it takes a few days. And globally, about 6% of all transactions get lost. That, that doesn't feel like 21st century, right? <laughs> What's interesting about the history of blockchain and Bitcoin is that it was actually created as a reactionary movement against the financial establishment because it was born, as you said, in that period of 2008, 2009 with the financial crisis. And there was this push and this desire to build something that didn't rely on the banks. Yeah, yeah it's a very fascinating uh, event that has uh, changed people's perception uh, for you know, until now. And I don't know, probably maybe forever, just like um, the 1930s scarred a whole generation, uh, you know, that major crash. But um, I I do think it's interesting that it was created around that period where people started to uh, distrust the financial community. And I remember, so I worked as a mutual fund advisor before the crash when I was Mm -hmm. still in college. And uh, so around like 2007. And I remember back then, when you would call customers and you say, hey, I'm, I'm from your bank, they want, were always excited to speak with you. Right. And after the crash, everybody started hating bankers. <laughs> and like they don't do that. that no one calls customers anymore because they're like, yeah, go away. And, and I do think like Bitcoin really or cryptocurrency solves a very important uh, problem but mm-hmm. the, the the our problem right now is you know i consider myself also someone who is you know i'm not an expert in crypto and and i also don't spend a lot of time learning about it but at the yeah. same time i do recognize it's something that that's important right i want it's something that has the potential to change a lot about the world and and we don't know you know to what degree but yeah. for for people who kind of have that perspective and i feel like a lot of my friends and people that i talk to have that same mentality that i just talked about um mm-hmm. what's a good way to get started if you want to do something in in crypto yeah. and, and i think that's always the question right like i want to do something i don't know what it is so what what do you usually tell people i think i think the most important piece is and it's it's a bit of a cliche but it's very very true is you need to educate yourself you need to understand what it's about because 
if you, Warren Buffett is very famous for saying you should never invest into something you don't understand. And I think that is, that is certainly true. I think if you cannot come to the conviction and the belief that this is a technology that, that is the future or that will have a major impact in the future, then, then honestly don't even bother because it's easier to get burned in the crypto space at the moment than to just put some money in and you'll be rich tomorrow. Right. I think the, the situation we're in is where it's again, similar to what happened with internet internet in the beginning was not meant to be all the things it is today, right? It was university libraries connecting their catalogs together. And then there was, you know, interest from the military around the usage and so on. Nobody in the beginning, at least thought of, you know, why would people sit in front of a screen trying to connect to websites across the globe, Mm -hmm. trying to order things to have delivered to their home. Those use cases came as the technology advanced and entrepreneurs saw a need for certain things and internet technology as a way to make that happen and fulfill that demand. And that's how things were created quite simply. So it was a technology that was used to either improve existing processes, for example, you know, be able to connect to a different university library from your university, not having to travel there, Mm. or it was a technology that was used to create something completely new. We wouldn't have Uber if it wasn't for mobile phones and internet on your phone and GPS tracking, right? So that simply wasn't possible before. And with blockchain, it's it's similar. The initial idea of Bitcoin is simply peer-to-peer payments. It's being able to send something that people think is valuable from A to B without having to ask permission uh, from a bank. That's that's the very restricted and limited initial idea and use case of, of Bitcoin. Now. As people looked at this technology, they had ideas around, okay, well, if we can do this, if we can send money from A to B without intermediary, maybe there's something else we can do. And so that's why you see what I call different generations of blockchains already. So blockchain itself is evolving all the time. And you see new additions after Bitcoin, you had Ethereum that invented what was called smart, what is called smart contracts which made these transfers of of value programmable. You could say, if this condition is met, send X amount from A to B. So all of a sudden it was programmable money. And that has spun up other use cases. And now there's blockchains that allow you to integrate different data sets from externally and so on and so forth. So it's it's just a constant evolution of the space. And you just have to think about it in a way that it's technology that, will be used in certain ways that today we probably can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. The um, practical uses of cryptocurrencies. And then on the other side, there's the investment aspect of it as well. And I remember I wasn't interested or I wasn't excited about Bitcoin earlier uh, because I've never been really excited about speculation or gambling. And, and that, that was kind of the initial perspe- uh, perspective that I had uh, right. back then, which is obviously in hindsight, you know, not the, well, one perspective, you could have had another perspective as well. <laughs> uh, but I think in hindsight, yeah. it's probably the, you know, the, the 98 perspective <laughs> yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with these things, I usually like to take the perspective of there's no right or wrong. It's just like, mm-hmm. that's the way that uh, you looked at it back then. It's fine. 
the 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 thing is that sometimes you can get rigid and get stuck in a kind of thinking pattern that, and that's something that I always want to avoid um so yeah. I started looking at it and and when I started looking into cryptocurrencies and bitcoin what I found interesting about bitcoin was the the way that large scale investors look at it as a store of value as now you know in recent years people are calling it more digital gold uh, what's your perspective on bitcoin as an investment it's a challenging question because you can argue either way right you could say like why would have why would something that's not even tangible you you can't see it you can't feel it you can't touch it like why would that have value i think to many investors um bitcoin shares many of the components that especially physical gold has because the amount of Bitcoin overall is limited. It's programmed in a way that there will never ever be more than 21 million Bitcoin. Now that in a way is similar to the limited resources that we have with physical gold. You know, we keep finding some, but it's getting more and more difficult. So gold is considered rare when it comes to the actual value that we attach to it. I can see why people say, well, you know, People think Bitcoin is valuable, so it has value, yeah. much like with gold. You know, like gold is not something that is intrinsically, well, it is intrinsically valuable because we perceive it as, as such, right? It has a long history of being desired and you want to make jewelry with it and so on, but it's not something that we need for our living. It's just mm -hmm. a pure desire to own it. There's advantages to Bitcoin, notably, you know, it's easier to take uh, Bitcoin with you in a, in a digital wallet to travel rather than, you know, having to lug around um, a heavy suitcase full of gold. Um, we see examples yeah. of that, you know, with everything that's happening at the moment in Ukraine, there is people who, you know, say, thank God I have some crypto because all I have to do is memorize my, my secret phrase for my wallet. You know, nobody can touch this. It's in my head. So it's not like I get to the border and then they go through my suitcase and they take all the valuables out and I'm stuck. So it's, there is this perception of um, it's something that's limited. It's something that scars. It's something that people will want to own over time. To me personally, um, I think the opportunity, especially when it comes to investing, the opportunity for me is more with crypto projects where I can see real utility. What I mean by that is Bitcoin, to me, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's, it's a peer-to-peer -peer payment system that's fairly limited. And the technology as brand new as it is perceived. It's relatively old already, right? It's been mm -hmm. 12 years. There's te blockchain technology out there today that is a lot faster, more energy friendly, economically friendly, therefore, and so on and so forth. And so the projects that I look for when it comes to investing is the projects where I see real utility, meaning there's companies, startups, if you like, that create projects or services um, or applications that can be used or that leverage blockchain technology and that people have to pay in the cryptocurrency of this project to be able to use it. Okay. So um, you look at that. That's quite interesting because uh, the investment community, uh, and, and that's the kind of community that I continuously read. And um, I'm, I'm interested in by nature as an investor mm -hmm. uh, continuously talks about, you know, the, the Bitcoin as a store of value and uh, what you also mentioned, the scarcity aspect mm -hmm. of it. And 
you're more thinking about how it could change the way that people do business or it could, you know, change the way we make payments or you mentioned the you know, war in Ukraine or like crisis situations. And uh, I think there are many, um, there are many functions of cryptocurrency. And I think that is immediately mm-hmm. one of the biggest uh, things that is scaring people off because it can be quite overwhelming. There are so many things that you can do with crypto and yeah. right. And there's so many avenues. So what what I would like to do is kind of guide people as well a little bit in, in terms of, well, you don't have to know about everything <laughs> that's related yeah. to crypto. Like personally for yeah. me, I look more as on like as Bitcoin as an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and We've talked a little bit now about Bitcoin or crypto as a way to change payments or change the way yeah. that you know people um, do business or how mm-hmm. they generate income or how they uh, make payments peer peer to peer. And and that's interesting because for for the listener, like you don't have to you, you can make a decision. I say, oh, I'm I'm personally into like what you kind of hinted at or, or talked about a little bit earlier. Like you can look within yourself and think, oh, I'm quite interested in these projects and let me learn a little bit more about that, right? Absolutely. And I think that that where we go back to, you know, the the investor of all investors, Warren Buffett, where he says, you know, understand um, what you're investing in. And I think it's a good parallel because <clears throat> you mentioned the, this crazy run up in 2017 and 18. And I think that's where the entire market got a bad reputation for being just speculative because quite frankly, I think you know, 98% of those projects that launched then <clears throat> were just pure speculation. And um, the, the reason this happened is, as I mentioned earlier, Ethereum was the first blockchain that allowed for smart contracts. So you could make it programmable. And that opened up a whole new set of use cases. Um, in addition to that, Ethereum positioned itself a little bit like the Shopify of cryptocurrencies. So you could use the Ethereum blockchain and anybody within a few minutes could create their own cryptocurrency. In addition to that, Ethereum used their own cryptocurrency, Ether, to raise money for the project, to be able to then hire developers, you know, to actually program and code and develop all the things they wanted to develop. And that became known as what is now used, what is now called the ICO process, which is kind of the equivalent of what we know as IPOs in the in the stock market. Mm-hmm. It's not an initial public offering where you have to go through certain mechanisms. It's all regulated. You need VCs or big backing or accredited investors. Rather than doing that, there was an option now for crypto projects to do an initial coin offering, which is essentially a way to raise money where they say, listen, we're going to create 100 million coins and we're going to sell them at a very advantageous rate. You can invest however much you want. With that money that we collect, we will be able to actually build out our project. So it's startups pitching their idea and raising money by selling the cryptocurrency with the hope for investors that that cryptocurrency will become the means of payment for potential future clients, be that companies or individuals, that want to use the application, but now have to purchase that cryptocurrency to be able to use the the service. And so you and I, as an investor, we might've bought 
a thousand coins at one cent, but the thing becomes very, very popular. Everybody wants to play or everybody wants to use the service and wants to buy these coins to be able to do so. And we can sell them not for one cent, but for a dollar or euro. And so that's where the investment theory comes in, that you purchase something now that will have future utility and you sell it off to people that want to use it. One way that I can, you know, one that one visual way I use in my, my own head to, to explain that to myself is people always talk about the crypto market as a casino, right? So I, I don't really like that metaphor because it only speaks to the speculative part. But well, if we stick call to that, Wall Street a casino as well, right? So that's fine. Yeah, you can do that as well, yes. And so the, the way you can think of this is if, if the casino itself, the building, that's the crypto market. In the actual casino, there's different games. There's different tables with different games you can play, you know, roulette and blackjack and so on and so mm. forth. Now, the companies, the startups building that table in the traditional world where you go through IPOs and you sell stock and you sell equity in the company, you approach investors and say, hey, I'm building this table. It's going to be great. Everybody will want to play. Do you want to purchase X percent of my table? And then we share profits in terms of dividend right? Mm -hmm. In the crypto world, you're not, these startups do not want to sell equity in the actual company. What they say is, I'm building this fantastic game. Here's my table. Now, I will be using 100 million chips that these people need to use to play. Now, you can buy these chips off me now. As I build out then the table and people come and want to play, you can sell those chips to those people that actually want to use my, my table or want to use my service. And so it's a slightly different way of raising money because you're not selling equity in the company. You're still investing in a startup in a way, but not with equity, but by buying what they will ask as payment systems for the services later on. Yeah, you can become your own uh, VC without obviously the equity uh, stuff. Exactly. And, and yeah, like if you invest in startups, uh, in many cases, there's also nothing done or, you know, like no real revenue yet. It's more of the idea yeah. or maybe like a proof of concept, but that's about it. But on a, on a scale of risk, it is obviously a risky thing to do if you compare it to passive investing in an yeah. S&P 500 index. And it's more yeah. uh, similar to me than picking stocks, right? Because when you pick cryptocurrencies, you're kind of doing the same thing as you're kind of looking at uh, the potential and you kind of make yeah. have to make your own judgment. So for me and for my, probably for the largest part of my audience, that's mm -hmm. not super relevant because right, like I spend most of my time writing and you know, running the blog and working on yeah. my family business as well. And, and uh, as a passive investor, I keep pumping money into the stock market. So for me, um, I look at those things and I'm like, okay, that's quite interesting, but I don't really put money in there. I have some Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, which I'm pretty comfortable with now because yeah. um, I think even though it's, gone quite down so has the stock market so it's and i think i personally think that's actually a good sign because it's kind yeah. of riding in tandem with the stock market and the financial world and it's not collapsing to five thousand or yeah. whatever 
Uh, And I I feel like those are pretty encouraging signs. So I'm pretty comfortable with that. I got a couple of other um, cryptocurrencies where I put a little bit money in there, but that's more of a kind of like, okay, this this sounded interesting. And let me put a few hundred bucks in there, (laughs) more like a gamble. Um, And and, uh, that's not something that I recommend. And I don't think you do do, do like for based on your, uh, yeah, uh, the stuff that you mentioned earlier, but um, I do think it's important for for people to think about okay, what's my risk tolerance, and uh, not only risk tolerance, but what what's the the amount of time that I'm willing to invest in learning. Absolutely, and I think well, one thing that really helps if if you want to get some exposure to the market, I think there's automatically a lot more interest and you just pick up on more things, even if you don't spend a lot more time on research and so on, but you're just more tuned into the market and the news that's happening around it. If you have some skin in the game, right? So, I mean, the golden rule is you never invest more than you can afford to lose, especially in crypto. It is very risky at the moment because it's still very volatile. Yeah. And the the no newer projects, et cetera, are, I would say. You can, you can never time the market, right? Even with Bitcoin, yeah. like you might buy it at 60 and then it goes down to 40. You know, that, yeah. is, that is a huge drop, especially when you come from the, let's say, traditional investing world. You know, that, that is a very significant drop and that can feel very scary. Um, at the same time, you can look at this as, you know, what's the risk reward ratio? And so if you say, well, I'm putting some money in that if that really were to go to zero and if you choose your project, if you put some effort into choosing a few projects where you at least understand who's the team, what are they trying to achieve, what's the use case, what's the problem they're trying to solve without spending you know, day and night researching, it's very likely that it's not going to zero, right? So, I mean, you, you, can, you can buffer that risk a little bit, but even if you assume that the worst case is I lose that money, the potential reward, because the market is so volatile, because it's such a young space, when you look at the internet companies that have come and gone and so on, you know, look at Netscape and all these companies, there's some fascinating animations out there that show, you know, the, the, the dominance of certain players in the internet world over time and how that moves. If you catch one of those rocket ships early, it can be a very nice way to boost your, let's say, dispensable income in terms of investments, because another golden rule is, you know, when something doubles, triples, quadruples in value, you have to force yourself to go in and shave off and take some profit and get at least back what you put in yeah. because rest, then you let ride. And if that goes to zero, well, you learn something. If it keeps going great, you know, you, yeah. you put yourself on price targets in and you say, well, at that level, I'm going to sell some more at level, level some more. And then you can take that money that you gained in a fairly short amount of time relatively speaking, and you can move that into your more traditional secure portfolio. So I would never advocate, you know, crypto is it, so forget about everything else. What I found crypto to be is a very good accelerator in certain aspects to say, I can take some funds that I'm happy to play with, so to speak, put those in, and then as I take profits, move them back out and build out my secure long-term portfolio with that. Yeah, and the nice thing I think about uh, the crypto <laughs> space is that you can also outsource your strategy or your research to other people who are spending time learning and talking about interesting projects. So you don't have to do that initial 
layer of research, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, maybe going back to your um, story again, uh, I find interesting is that you you got uh, excited about Bitcoin and, and crypto, and then from there, what happened to launching your course and you know becoming someone who likes to share his knowledge about crypto and and, and helping and coaching others to get started, etc. Yeah. So as I said, I, I fell down that rabbit hole, started looking around and I liked what I saw. And so I, I kept digging. Um, one thing that I'm, I'm really big on is also sharing. I just like to share what I know and teach other people and help them understand. Um, I come from a world where I'm used to explaining technical things to a less technical audience um, because it's a business environment where I have to explain technology and software in particular. And so that let's make this my research project during lockdown turned into, can I get this to a level where I can help other people with it? And so I said to myself, initially, the idea was to write a book about how to get started. Because when I started looking into it myself, I am fairly technical. So I don't mind reading through all the white papers and all the technical details. But what I found is that the information out there when you want to get started is either very generic, like it's the future, you have to invest some money, otherwise you'll miss the train, but it doesn't tell you how, or it's so geeky and technical that you need almost like a master's degree in computer science to understand the first paragraph. And so I realized that I was in a position where I could take the, the geeky technical stuff and translate that into something that's accessible to normal human being, human beings. And so, um, I fairly quickly um, moved over from wanting to write a book because that's pretty, I love reading, but if it's about something that like, that's online, how to get started in crypto and so on, I had a hard time myself seeing people read a book and then go to the computer and try to apply that. So fairly quickly, the idea was born to, can I make this into an online training to help people get started, really lay out my own journey and what is this technology overall? How does it actually work? How can I get started? What do you need to watch out for? How do you buy? What, how do you know what to buy? And so on and so forth. So really cutting it down into digestible pieces of content and uh, build a training course that I would have liked to have myself. And that's how, how to begin crypto came to be. <laughs> that's always a good strategy to look at what you would like to have. Uh, that's how I got started with uh, my online courses as well, and uh, it's 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 great to to see see that. And um, so maybe some practical stuff for listener who has been interested in crypto. And I think there are still, like you said, like the how uh, many two hundred fifty million uh, wallets? What was it? What was the number again? Yeah, I, I read something like two hundred million. I mean, the number keeps changing, probably, yeah, well, but. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so fairly, fairly small amount still compared to the world's population. Yeah, the odds are pretty high that people listening to this, a big chunk of them, ha- don't have a wallet. Uh, you know, have never purchased uh, any crypto. So, what yeah. do you think? Before we maybe talk a little bit about about the practical process, what it looks like, because if you hear about all this stuff, you think, okay, well, like, what the, what does it even look like? How do I get this stuff, but what are some of the factors that you think are holding people back from getting started? I think I can, I can just look back to how I started myself. Um, and 
independent of my, my background, it was just really tricky to get my head around. Like everybody speaks of blockchain as the future of technology, but what does it actually mean? Like, how is it different? How will it impact every single industry and why is this the future? So I think starting with the, what it is and how it works, that was, that was a major step. Um, the next problem then was, okay, now that I understand what it is, how do I actually go about it? Because you, you can't just go, you don't go to Amazon or you don't go to your bank and say, you know, I want to buy some Ethereum. Like you have to go to certain exchanges um, that offer that. And then the difficulty very quickly becomes if you want to go beyond, let's say, the standards like Bitcoin or Ethereum, if you're interested, if you mentioned something earlier, it's very true. that the, bigot, the, the blessing and the curse of the crypto space is that it applies to literally everything. So that means you're not limited to, okay, I have to invest in the financial industry because that's the only place where that happens. You have the choice of choosing projects that are within your area of interest, right? It could be logistics, it could be healthcare, it could be entertainment, like whatever you want, there are crypto projects working in that, in that space. And I think if you, if you choose those, naturally you will have a higher interest in understanding how that works and how it applies to that industry that you're interested in in the first place than trying to force yourself to learn something new that now yeah, I'm, I'm only looking at this at this as an investment. So I think that was that the two major steps is what is it? How does it work? What's the potential impact? And then once you have that is how do you actually get started? Yeah, exactly. And for, for people who don't have it, it's relatively straightforward. You just go to an exchange and you can open a digital wallet and you just, buy and that's it and then, and then you could decide if you want to have a digital wallet or a mm-hmm. uh, offline wallet or, or a usb stick or whatever i have one of those as well but i <laughs> it's yeah. funny right like i bought one of those a few years uh-huh. ago uh, just uh, like a, an exclusive bitcoin uh, mm-hmm. wallet and uh, i never used it i just used my digital <laughs> <laughs> it's really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, the the advantage and you know the the the, the risk in that sense is if, if you go to you have to go to an exchange. So there's exchanges like the big ones that are known are let's say Coinbase in the US or Binance is, is global. Binance is the largest exchange worldwide. Some like KuCoin and so on and so forth. So those exchanges you can go and on most of these big well-known exchanges you create an account. You most likely have to KYC at this stage. So you have to provide your identity. So they need to know who you are. It's to know your customer and, you know, anti, anti money laundering rules and so on. That's all good and well. <clears throat> we know that we comply. That's fine. What happens is, um, you can on those exchanges, you can fairly easily then just put in your credit card number, you know, charge your account with 500 euros or something and then just go and buy some Bitcoin or Ethereum where things get a bit more ideological and you have to choose on which side you're on is if you buy on, let's say Binance or on KuCoin or Coinbase and you just leave it there, it's as if you're going to a bank and you're buying something in a bank, but you're asking them to store it for you. And so that goes against the initial idea of all blockchain and Bitcoin in particular, where it says, this is about you, you owning your finances, you owning your own cryptocurrency. Nobody can take that from you. If you leave your crypto on an exchange, you're still trusting that third party that they're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. Right? And that's where the, the personal wallets come in. 
Um, you mentioned, you know, that USB stick or very often people refer to either hot wallets or cold wallets. A wallet is nothing but a an address on the blockchain that you can create. It's like opening an account, but it's an account that sits on the blockchain itself and you have the private key to that. So you're the only person who can access that account. Now, with that wallet address, it's like a bank account number. You can give that to anybody, the public address. You give that to anybody, including your exchange. You could say, hey, I bought you know, 0.1 or 0.01 Bitcoin please transfer that to my personal wallet so mm. I have it and I can do whatever I want with it. Because what has happened in the past on a quite regular basis is as and when Bitcoin you know, shoots up or crashes down, many, many people try to get onto their exchange to either buy or sell mm. and the system gets overloaded and you're locked out or you can't log in. And by the time you can back, log back in, well, the party's over and you have, either you haven't sold or you haven't been able to buy. And so that goes back to the, you know, don't, don't trust a third party, do what you want with your Bitcoin and hold it yourself. So it's the equivalent of going to a, uh, you know, to a shopping mall and um, buying something in a store, but then actually taking that home with you, put it in your own safe in the basement and uh, leave it yeah. there rather than telling the shopkeeper, can you hold that for me until yeah. I want to sell it? And, and listening to your story, I can... Is it safe to make the assumption, assumption that you like the safe option? <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the uh, all the I hold is uh, I have my own account. Um, that's both from an I think the the initial idea of owning your finances um, is important, yeah. um, but also just because it's it's the easiest way. Yeah, um, and what to control that? Yeah, and what uh, wallet do you use? What's the brand called or? Um, there's there's a variety of, of wallets you can use. Um, so one popular hot wallet, so on chain in that sense, is, is MetaMask, for example. Um, there is um, how do you spell it? MetaMask is M E T A M A S K. Mm. That is a popular wallet. Um, then there is uh, the Trust Wallet. Um, there's Atomic Wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, I can send you a few few of the names for the for the episode notes if you like, so people yeah. can look into them. That the main difference between what's called a hot wallet or a cold wallet is that a hot wallet is literally an application on your phone, right? So it's like a bank like a bank app that you can download, only that you create your own account and there's no third party. It's it's just an address that lives on the blockchain. You have the personal keys to that. So you can have, you have your public address, which is your receiving number that you can give to anybody and anybody can send you things. If you have it in that wallet on your phone, you can also send out your own coins to anybody else at any given time, as long as you validate the transaction in that wallet. That is what's called a hot wallet because it's accessible from anywhere. And you could at any point in time, as long as you have your phone on you, you can make a transaction to send to somebody. With a cold wallet, which is that USB stick you were referring to, there's a couple of options out there. The most popular one is Ledger, which is L-E-D-G-E-R, which is Mm -hmm. probably the model that you have because I think it's, in Europe, it's the most popular model. Um, I have one with, I think, a Swiss uh, logo on it or something. I don't know. On the box, it had a... There's a it's called Twitter. Yeah. So, uh, 
or it might be some obscure brand that really hopes you're going to put your crypto on there and, <laughs> because they have a backdoor built in and they can <laughs> yeah, it off. I got scammed. Fortunately, I didn't use it. Yeah. Find it. That's an important point, actually. I mean, whenever whenever you, you, you invest, or especially if you want to buy such a code wallet, don't ever go on Amazon or something or buy it from, you know, that store that has it for five euros cheaper. Always go to the original website, go to the original store. Always, always purchase from there because there are stories of people who bought it for a 5% discount on Amazon. But what they got was, you know, perfectly packaged and it looked brand new, but it was actually sent to them by somebody who had bought the original device, tampered with it, hacked it in a way that it didn't look different from the outside. But as soon as they loaded their crypto onto that, there was a backdoor built in and then people could just draw their account. And so yeah, it, you wow. have to be careful. Yeah, that's crazy, world. right? Like I, uh, I also heard about some stories from people who got their, um, got a link of, or something like how, the, where they could participate in these, um, can't remember, like the, the, the whole Ethereum uh, stuff where they like do, where you could kind of earn. Yeah, it's uh, very popular. It's it's very, I mean, scams are everywhere. So you really yeah. have to be careful. Yeah. Um, very popular scam scheme is, you know, Elon Musk is generous today. You know, just send him one Ethereum and he will send you two Ethereum back or something. <laughs> like that's, that's the, <laughs> well, it, it sounds funny when you read it, but you would be probably shocked or scared when you know how many people actually fall for that. Yeah. Um, the thing is that, you know, if somebody wants to send you crypto, they don't need you to send them something first. All they need is your public address, which is, you know, like your public address. You can put that on billboards and, you know, advertise it throughout yeah. the city and anybody can just scan that. So how does that uh, scam work technically if you uh, participate well, if in you the game? If you fall for that scam, uh, they provide an address and say, just send one Ethereum here and then we'll send you two Ethereum back. Well, the first part happens, you send one Ethereum, but you never get anything back. And because you send it to a blockchain address, it just sits there. You can't get it back. You can't call customer yeah. service. So you I, basically find, I find it pretty difficult to imagine that you would get into that, that like this exchange. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but I, I, like the one that I heard was that I thought was like, oh, okay, that, that sounds uh, something that I could fall for like anyone could fall for is um from a guy who also an investor i forgot who he was like a blogger that he mentioned mm-hmm. there's this whole thing with ethereum where you can earn ethereum when you do something or whatever or when you share it or like i, I don't even know what it is but uh he got he got uh, uh involved with that whole activity and they found found a way to duplicate the whole process or whatever and then he clicked the link and went through the actions and, and then they okay. stole oh, like um, they had access to his wallet. And then next, and then he, he was like, Oh shit, what's going on? And he logged in and it was empty. <laughs> yeah. 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 Probably, probably a, a staking scam. So in the crypto yeah, world, oh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. You can do what's called staking is essentially it's a way for you to say, well, I have a certain amount of Ethereum or another crypto project. I want, obviously I invested in this because I think long-term the value will go up. But in the meantime, I want to earn some interest on that. And so what you can do is depending on how the project is set up, you can participate in the network because a blockchain is essentially nothing but a list or it's a, it's a 
it's a number of not one single database, like the businesses we use to today, the banks or Google or Facebook, those are central entities. So Facebook controls all the data, Meta now controls all the data that they collect. Google owns and controls all the data they collect. Your bank has its own internal database where they keep you, their records. That is what's referred to as centralized. The idea of blockchain is that it's decentralized, meaning that you have multiple versions of that database and the computers and the databases participating in that network all hold each other accountable, meaning that transactions get validated and then they get replicated across the globe in many different copies of the same database. So if you wanted to go back and say, well, I didn't send Darius $1,000, I sent him 10000 you would have to convince 51% of those computers contributing to the network that there was an error in the system. So it's a lot more foolproof than this one database sitting in the basement of a bank where somebody goes in and makes um, a change to an entry in the database. So if you think of it that way, um, it's a it's a network of databases across the globe that all basically validate each other and have the same copy of the same database. Now, in order to participate, or if you participate in that, it requires you know your computing power, energy, and so on and so forth. And so to thank you for participating in validating transactions, networks like blockchain, Bitcoin, or Ethereum, they will send you some tokens as a reward for contributing to the network, right? So it's like an interest payment because you contribute. Now, that is one way of doing what is called proof of work, where you actually have to use your own computer and you have to provide the computing power to validate transactions. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the technical interest to set up a machine that way or the means of doing so. And so another way you can do is you can say, well, I have this friend of mine who is a very technical person. He runs a node. So he runs a database on that system. But I also hold some of the crypto tokens that he has. So I can send my tokens to his machine, which will upgrade his machine in terms of reputation in the network because there's more value of this project locked into that node. And so there's more chances that he will be validating transactions for this network. But then when he gets the rewards, we share the rewards. Mm -hmm. So I am staking, I'm putting my coins as a stake into his system. And then the rewards that he earns with that node I perceive a percentage of those rewards based on how much I put in. Okay. And that's probably what happened okay. to your friend where he was said, you know, hey, stake your coins here yeah. because when you stake, you have to send it to a note where it gets locked in. And if you send it to the wrong address, well, it's it's gone. Yeah. And um, uh, if you have it on your cold wallet, you don't do anything. Uh, what happens with the, on, on your cold wallet, um, it's the same system. You have an application on your phone where you can but see. I mean, you know, uh, by like by by uh, uh, default, <clears throat> you don't stake it. Uh, no, no, no. no. Uh, you don't, you're not staking by default. Not even if yeah. you have it in a hot wallet um, on your phone. You're not staking unless you choose to do so. Yeah, unless different- you're, you're leaving it on an exchange, right? Like I have, uh, I use yeah. in, in Europe um, Bitfavo or whatever Bitfavo, mm-hmm. and they. Sometimes I get notifications, right? Yeah. Staking rewards available. Yeah. That is an incentive uh, from the exchanges to to leave your coin. Yeah. Just like um, 
Mm. What's that company called that that pays a uh, hefty interest rates on uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum? Uh, there's a couple out there. Um, I think there's uh, applications like Celsius or Nexo uh, or BlockFi. BlockFi, yeah. Yeah. So the reason that these exchanges sometimes give you staking rewards is that you're essentially helping them provide liquidity for those tokens. So if you buy Bitcoin on Binance, but you leave it on Binance, that's Bitcoin that you know Binance will attribute to your account, but they're not taking your 0.1 Bitcoin and put it in a separate wallet and say, this is Darius's yeah. wallet, right? It's, yeah. they give you an IOU, you know, it's- And they, they just you. operate as banks and block buy, yeah. right? Like they give you interest rate. And exactly, then they, and they, can, they can oversell, they can double it. and triple sell yeah. Bitcoin, which is probably one of the reasons why these lockouts happen quite frequently yeah. uh, when too many people want to buy and sell at the same time. Yeah, but yeah. the main thing, the hot wallet and the cold wallet, just to go back to that question, a hot wallet, think of that as an application on your phone and you can receive and send at any given point. With a cold wallet, you still have an application and you can still receive at any given time. But if you want to transact something, if you want, if you want to send something out from your wallet to somebody else, you initiate the transaction on your phone in the app, but you have to have that physical USB stick next to you because your phone will ask you to also verify that transaction on your USB stick. Yeah. And so it's a safety mechanism where you basically, if you're out and about, your USB stick is safely at home or, you know, taped behind your parents' couch or something where nobody yeah, can find yeah. it. You know, it's keep, it safe. <laughs> uh, keep it safe. Um, if you're out and about, you know, like, I don't know, somebody finds your phone or somebody, you know, yeah. worst case, you know, threatens to knock you over the head, you know, unlocks your phone with your face ID and then says, you know, great, you have a wallet. So unlock that and they send out your crypto yeah. to their own wallet. With a hot wallet, they could do that in theory. With yeah. a cold wallet, they could see that you have crypto, but they literally physically couldn't send it out of that wallet unless they also have access to that USB stick. And that's why it's... Yeah, and that's also uh, the probably the best option for people who look at uh, particularly Bitcoin as um, you know the, the currency for when the world collapses. And when we live in yeah. a world like uh, The Walking Dead or whatever, that guy's yeah. probably safest to have. <laughs> if, if and when it gets to that, I think we'll all have different problems. But yeah, exactly. So I don't really buy that either because if yeah. that happens, then yeah, I do get the idea that, you know, Bitcoin would be easy transferable. And, you know, if you have to yeah. go somewhere, leave the country yeah. or whatever, but if the whole world is screwed, then... Yeah, I don't know. Other rules are at play. Yeah, so, atomic bombs destroy, you know, blockchain databases as much as they destroy centralized databases. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a difference, though, because when you think of, you know, let's say those famous blackouts with exchanges like Binance or Coinbase, Coinbase in particular is ridiculed quite often for, you know, oh, all the systems are down. We apologize. Um, the advantage of blockchain. As I mentioned, it's, it's, it's databases that are spread all around the world. So if one database goes down because there is a power cut or natural disaster or something like that, the rest of the network is still operational. So it will still operate as normal. And when that node comes back online, it will simply just synchronize with the rest of the network and download all the transactions that it might have missed to get up to speed. 
and then function again. So mm. it's a lot more shock resistant and failure resistant than the centralized systems that, that many banks and so on use. Yeah, many uh, advantages and many fascinating things about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to wrap this episode up. Maybe we can uh, talk about one of the projects that you personally decided to invest in and talk a little bit about your thinking pattern that mm-hmm. you used to decide to actually put some money in there. So what's you know, the process that you took? Yeah, uh, I think for me, the, the absolute key word is utility. Um, I have to understand what problem that project or that company is trying to solve. and if I believe that this use case will be appealing to future clients of that, of that business, right? So in that way, it's not different than investing in a, in a company by buying stock, as you mentioned. And where do you find the project? Uh, research, you come across this. I mean, Twitter is a very good source. Um, there's uh, websites that talk about new projects all the time. Um, one good site to look at is CoinGecko as well. Um, CoinGecko.com is a basically an aggregator where you can see cryptocurrencies listed by amount of money invested in them. So you can look at the top, I don't know, top 20, top 50, and you will see kind of Bitcoin is still the king. Then you have Ethereum. And then as you go down the list, you will very quickly find projects that you probably haven't heard of. And so that's a good way to look at them because mm-hmm. for each of these projects that CoinGecko lists, Obviously, they have the price and the recent price movement and so on, but there's, you can click on that project and it takes you to a dedicated page with information about the project, all the links to the official website, um, links to where you can actually buy it, on which exchanges, and so on and so forth. So it's a very useful resource um, to, to leverage. You can also create an account and do your own list of these are the products I'm interested in. And so it gives you like a portfolio view so you can start playing with it. And just like, well, I'm just pretending. It's like a it's like a dummy portfolio before you actually go and buy stock. You can just kind of play with it and say, if I put $100 here or 100 euros here, how would I have done over the last few months and so on? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, that is a good place to start. Other than that, I think the biggest recommendation is really just stick to the space that you're interested in. Um, in my in, in my case, that's often technology related because that's that's the space I'm used to and that's what I'm interested in. Um, the one project I can mention that I came across um, a while ago um, is called Theta Networks um, that I just, I really like because I just understand their use case. Um, when you, um, well, Theta Network is essentially, they're trying to make it easier to stream data, right? When you look at the internet today, it's really it was never built for the amount of data that we process, right? It, it was never built for Zoom video calls or Skype or, you know, streaming Netflix videos and all that times, millions of times per day. And so the, the pipes are literally bursting um, with, with the amount of traffic that's happening. And so the, the idea that Theta had is to say, well, everybody is literally sitting at home and everybody has a good internet. Well, everybody in the world as we know it in our luxurious conditions, you know, everyone has an internet connection. Um, but when we sleep or even when we just watch a movie or something, that connection is mostly sitting idle, right? Even if you do some email in the background, you're using a fraction of your bandwidth that's available to you. So the idea of Theta Networks is to say, we can turn anybody's internet connection into a mini distribution hub for content. 
The way this works is that you literally install a little piece of software on your computer and you just let it run in the background. And what it does, it authorizes Data Network to use your idle bandwidth. So your own task will always take priority. As soon as you hit your computer, it kind of goes in sleep mode and it you know, doesn't impact how you work. But if you go to bed and your internet is just sitting there, you can put that to work and it can help distribute content. Um, when you think of, uh, let's say, Netflix, right? Um, Netflix has huge data centers all around the world. I live in Paris. There must be a data center somewhere in the Paris area that Netflix is using. And depending on what's popular, on a Friday evening, you will have thousands, if not tens of thousands of people trying to connect all individuals to that one data center, trying to stream the latest episode of whatever series is popular right now. That puts a huge strain on that Netflix data center and pushes Netflix to constantly upgrade. Now, these data centers are hugely expensive, right? It's, it's not just the servers that are like 50K each. It's also actually renting out the facilities, you know, cooling them, security, energy, like all that is a huge overhead. What Theta proposes is say, well, if companies like, Theta, like Netflix were to work with us, what they can do is everybody who has Theta installed at home, they can literally just push that content onto that internet box and basically pre-distribute the content uh, out to those users. And so when Friday evening comes around and everybody wants to stream it, it's already available. So I have that episode sitting on my internet box without me having to know about it. But the 20 neighbors in my building that want to watch that episode, well, they are streaming it from my box and not from that uh, Netflix data center. Mm. And so that reduces the amount of traffic needed from the data center by 50 to 60%. And obviously is a huge cost saving to Netflix over time. Mm-hmm. That's uh, quite fascinating. And there are probably many more projects that um, are interesting. And um, it's good to hear, it's interesting to hear that initially you mentioned, okay, look at stuff that you are interested in. We talked about a project that you are interested in and I can see the excitement. So that's that's really cool to see. So. Um, the advantage with the technology is, in general, um, you know, what we know as internet is, is these days called Web 2.0. We're moving very quickly into Web 3.0. And I think it's where users are turning into participants, right? Because if you install, in this example, if you install Theta on your, on your internet box or on your computer and you let it run, in order to thank you for contributing to a smoother experience for everybody else, depending on the amount of data that actually flows through your node on the system and the bandwidth that you provide, you actually get paid in Theta cryptocurrency as a thank you. So you can earn money just by renting out your internet connection, so to speak. Yeah, and who doesn't want to earn while they are sleeping, right? So... uh... (laughs) It doesn't get more passive than that, so... Yeah, exactly, right? So, uh, but uh, yeah, so... Uh, for people who want to learn more about you, and uh, we briefly mentioned your course, um, How to Begin Crypto, uh, where is the best place to go? Yeah, it's How to Begin, uh, how to begin Crypto. Yeah, uh, just the website, howtobegincrypto.com. Um, there's also, when you go to the top of the site, there's an explanation, obviously, with why I think it's a big opportunity and so on and so forth. The entire course modules are laid out with what to expect. 
from the course. And uh, if you go to the website, you'll also see that I've made the first module uh, available free of charge. So you can sign up for a free account. You can go through the first module, which go, goes a bit into the history of money and the history of uh, the internet and how blockchain basically came to be. Um, if you like what you see there, then there's an easy way. There's just a link in that program to upgrade to the full course. So uh, feel free to go and, uh, and check it out. All right. Very good. So uh, thanks for being on the show and uh, take care. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you too. Speak soon.